did the Blessed Virgin Mary die? How is that even possible in Catholic theology if the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived immaculately? She was conceived without original sin. She never had original sin, venial sin, mortal sin. And yet Scripture says the wages of sin are, is death. How could one with no sin, the Virgin Mary, die? And yet in the Eastern tradition and in the Western tradition, with the doctors of the church and with the sacred art and the iconography, depicts what's called the Dormition. And here you can see on the screen our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's standing at what appears to be the Blessed Virgin Mary, dead, sleeping, and he's holding her soul, which is white. There's a separation of her soul and her body, and this is, this is a big controversy. We believe that a Mary was assumed into heaven. This was dogmatized by Pope Pius XII. We're going to get into that in 1950. But how could it be that the Blessed Virgin Mary died? Before I jump into that, I want to discuss Catholic Mariology. There's a lot of non-Catholics, there's a lot of Protestants, Evangelicals, Charismatics that watch this channel, and they might be perplexed and saying, how do you Catholics get so into the Blessed Virgin Mary? First off, a lot of Evangelicals, and I used to be an Evangelical Protestant, when I was one, and if you're watching and you are one, we often think there's this pie. Think of an apple pie. It's got eight slices in it. And they look at Catholics or they look at Eastern Orthodox and they say, you guys are taking one or two slices of that pie, which is for Jesus, the worship, the glory, the honor, the prerogatives. You seem to be taking about two to three slices out of that pie and giving it to the Virgin Mary, and that's wrong. You're robbing from Jesus, and that's why Protestants have objections to Catholic devotion to Mary. You're taking away from Jesus and giving something to the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary is not the fourth person of the Trinity. She's not a goddess. She's, according to Catholicism, a perfect and sinless human, that she is saved, but in a way like if I saved you from tripping over a rock and falling down, I saved you from falling. You didn't fall, but there is still a prevention happening. And that's, as Catholics, what we believe, that from the moment of her conception in her mother's womb, Jesus Christ, the eternal Logos, intervened so that she was conceived without original sin. It's a beautiful, beautiful dogma. But, but Protestants are going to look at this and say, you're robbing from Jesus. Here's the problem. It's not a, a zero-sum game. We don't believe that the Virgin Mary takes away from the pie. We believe, as the Virgin Mary says in the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's what the Virgin Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord. So when you look at Mary, I've got a beautiful image of Mary right here over my camera. When you look at Mary, she magnifies the Lord. You see, when it comes to love and honor and glory, it's not a zero-sum game. You're not robbing slices out of the pie. When I married my wife, I loved her. When we had a child, I didn't say to her, well, now 50% of my love goes to you and 50% of my love goes to that baby. 
And then when we had a second child, it wasn't 33% goes to you, my wife, 33% to my first child, 33% to my next child. That's not how love, honor, family, relationships, devotion work. When my wife had the first child, I love the child and I love my wife even more. That is the proper way of understanding Christianity. It is Catholicism. We are a family. Loving, serving, honoring people in the family, especially the mother of Jesus, does not take away slices from Jesus. It magnifies, it grows the apple pie, if you want to call it the apple pie. So that's Marian devotion in the participation model, which is the Catholic model. It's the historic model of 2,000 years. Okay, Protestants will also say, well, where is the assumption of Mary in the Bible? You guys think that Christ took her body to heaven, that she's glorified somehow. Where is that in the Bible? Well, it's actually in the Bible. Let's take a look. It's in the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. Apocalypse chapter 11, verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of, the, of his testament was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and voices and an earthquake and great hail. The very next verse, remember, when John wrote the Apocalypse, he didn't put the chapters in. It was all one flow. The very next verse reads, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And being with child, she cry, cried, traveling in birth, and was in pain to be delivered. Remember, the Jews, the Jews have been waiting for over 500 years for the manifestation of the Ark of the Testament, the Ark of the Covenant. It is this, the center, the key focal point of the Israelite religion in Jerusalem. The temple is the temple because it has the Ark of the Covenant in it. They haven't had that since the Babylonian exile. Here, the New Testament is saying, drumroll please, we're about to manifest the Ark of the Covenant. Are you ready? The Ark of the Covenant is revealed. Where? In heaven. And let's see it. And then all of a sudden, John talks about a woman who's pregnant in heaven. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. John, you were just about to reveal the Ark of the New Covenant. You're just about to go there. And then you start talking about a pregnant woman. What's going on? That's because it's the same thing, my friends. If you have a problem with Mariology and the honor given to the mother of Jesus, by the way, Jesus fulfilled the Ten Commandments, honor your father, God the Father, honor your mother. He honored his mother. If you have a problem with honor to the Virgin Mary, you have a problem with this Bible verse in the Apocalypse because the manifestation of the Ark of the Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, in heaven— is the manifestation of a pregnant woman who's pregnant with whom? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. She's clothed with the sun. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was gilded in gold. It shone like the sun, says the Old Testament. The moon is under her feet. The entire Jewish calendar, which was lunar, the entire Old Testament, she's above that because she is the queen, the Gebirah in Hebrew, the queen mother. 
and she's with child. She contains not the old covenant. The Blessed Virgin Mary contains the new covenant, the new covenant in blood, the new covenant in flesh, Jesus Christ, the Mashiach. That's why Mary's important. Okay, so if you understand that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant, if you understand that she gave flesh and blood to the second person Trinity so he could hang on a cross for you so that he could die for you, if you understand all that, the next question is, why would the Son of God enter into the space-time continuum, human history, in something that was less pure, less sanctified than the Ark of the Covenant. If Mary is greater than the Ark of the Covenant, that means Mary is pure, immaculate, holy. Go back and listen to what God told Moses about the Ark of the Covenant. It's no joke. It's very serious. So this for us confirms that A, Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. It says in the book of Revelation, and two, she is immaculate. She is, as the Greeks say, Panagia, all holy. We say in the West, immaculate, without stain, without sin. Once you go from, she's the Ark of the Covenant, she's all pure, she's all holy, then you start to ask the question, well, will she die? The wages of sin is death, and she has no sin. She shouldn't die. And the theological answer to that is, yes, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary should not die. It's ludicrous. And yet when you look at the tradition, East and West, you see that her soul, there it is, her soul in white separates from her body. We traditionally call this death. But because there's no sin, there's no corruption, there's no pain, this is a completely unique experience. We see the same thing in the West. This is Fra Angelico's depiction, I believe. You see the apostles standing all around. You see in the background Jesus holding the soul of Mary in heaven and her body being placed in a tomb. By the way, you can go to this tomb in Jerusalem. This is, well, it's now, it's an Orthodox church. It's the Greeks run this church. But this is the tomb of Virgin Mary. There's actually two churches if you go to Jerusalem. There's the Church of the Dormition, the place where Our Lady fell asleep, where she laid down. I'm going to read you the account, early church, laid down, perceived Jesus was coming to receive her soul, and then she breathes her last. That's one place. That's the Church of the Dormition. Here's a picture of it. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, this is one church. There's a, this is a statue right here, the place where she fell asleep, where she, where she died. And then they carried her on a beer, a platform, to this place where she was placed in a tomb. And then Thomas came, the 12th apostle, and he said, I didn't get to see Our Lady. He's late. They opened the tomb, and she's gone. The body's gone, and there's only roses. And they realize Our Lady her body has been taken to heaven by Jesus. There's another tradition that Our Lady then appears to Thomas independently and gives her, gives him part of her clothing as a memento. Here's some of the art. I already showed you this one. This is Byzantine. This is for Angelico. This is 
the, uh, the place in Jerusalem where she fell asleep. Here's the place where she was interred and then was assumed into heaven. And I want to read for you the oldest account of this event, and then I'll explain to you why it is that it would be impossible for her to die because she has no sin, and yet we hold this reality that her soul separated from her body. Okay, that's going to be our final point. Stay with me. By the way, if you're enjoying this video, make sure you subscribe, hit the like button, subscribe, and hit the bell. Also, you can follow over on Instagram where I put out shorter content. All right, here is an ancient account of what happened. I'm going to give you a little bit of cliff notes here. Basically, all the apostles arrive miraculously in Jerusalem. Um, Our Lady is there. They're all around her. They know that this is the end. And the Blessed Virgin Mary says to Peter and the apostles, begin to light up the incense. Burn incense. Why? Because the King Christ is coming with his holy angels. Christ is at hand, she says, sitting on a throne of cherubim. So she knows that Christ is coming for her. And she says, start burning incense. Then she begins to pray and bless all of the apostles. And then at the end of that, I'm going to read here the quote. And then the face of the mother of the Lord shone brighter than the light. And she rose up and blessed each of the apostles with her own hand and gave glory to God. And the Lord stretched forth his undefiled hands and received her holy and blameless soul. And with the departure of her blameless soul, the place was filled with perfume and ineffable light. And behold, a voice of the heaven was heard saying, Blessed art thou amongst women. And Peter and I, John and Paul and Thomas ran and wrapped up her precious feet for the consecration. And the 12 apostles put her precious and holy body on a couch and carried it. Now, this is an interesting part. Listen to this. So they're carrying her body on a couch to a place where she's going to be buried. And behold, while they were carrying her, a certain well-born Hebrew, Jephaniah by name, running out against the body, put his hands on the couch, and behold, an angel of the Lord by invisible power with a sword of fire cut off his two hands from his shoulders and made them hang about the couch, lifted up in the air. And at this miracle which had come to pass, all the people of the Jews who beheld it cried out, Verily, he that was brought forth by you is the true God, O Mother of God, ever Virgin Mary." And Jephaniah himself, when Peter ordered him that the wonderful things of God might be shown forth, stood up behind the couch and cried out, Holy Mary, who brought forth Christ who is God, have mercy upon me. And Peter in turn said to him, In the name of him who was born of her, your hands which have been taken away from me will be fixed again. And immediately at the word of Peter, the hands hanging on the couch of the lady came and were fixed upon Jephaniah, and he believed and glorified Christ who had been born of her. And then it goes on to explain how they took her body to Gethsemane and laid it in a tomb. And then the events follow after that. That's the oldest account of the Dormition and then the assumption of the Virgin Mary. Now, the mystery for us is why would she die if she had no sin? It makes no sense. And the tradition is given to us in some of these early documents. It's also given to us through the mystics. And that is, she didn't need to die. No sin. 
But Christ asked her if she would want to. She says, this is a tradition, I would like to be all things like you, my son. In other words, Jesus died. He was sinless, but he died for us sinners. She wants to be conformed in humility to her son, Jesus. She wants to be like him as much as possible because she is the perfect disciple of Jesus, our Lord. Think about it like this. According to Moses, 40 days after a firstborn boy was born, the mother had to go to Jerusalem to present the baby at the temple and receive purification according to the Levitical law. A woman, after she gave birth to her firstborn son, was considered unclean, impure, for 40 days after birth. And on the 40th day, she would go to the temple and she would receive purification and she would be declared clean, pure once again, and back into the worship body of Israel. Now, we know that the Virgin Mary was pure. She was not made unclean by giving birth to God. The holy, 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 the Lord of hosts was born of her immaculate womb. Nothing in that whole beautiful process made her impure. And yet she submitted to the law of Moses and went through that Levitical rite, that liturgy, in humility. She submitted to the law even though she didn't need it. And this shows the humility, the profound, humble spirit of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So she didn't need to die. Death had no right over her. And yet she asked that she would be conformed to Christ. Her death was not corruptible. It was not painful. You saw light comes from her. She's totally at peace. There's no agony at all. Christ receives her soul with his own hands. And then later, the Greek Orthodox in Jerusalem say it was three days later. I don't know. They find the tomb empty. Now, some people, when this topic comes up, they don't like this. They want to say, no, the Virgin Mary just went straight to heaven, body and soul. This death thing doesn't make any sense and all that. But you have to understand that both in the East and in the West, this is the received tradition. And I'll submit to you that if you accept that Our Lady's soul separated from her body and went to heaven first and then her body, it's actually a higher Mariology. Your Mariology is higher. Why? Because you see Mary taking on a humble stance to our Lord. You see her in solidarity with Christ. You see her in solidarity with the church. And I think it's St. Alphonsus Liguori who says that because Mary submitted to death when she didn't need to, Christ gave her the plenipotentiary power over purgatory. And this is one reason why we say pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Because even she entered into that mystery voluntarily with no need to do so. Her humility also goes to a tomb. Her humility also goes to a grave. She experiences, yes, her sword pierces her heart 
at the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it was Bonaventure who said that the Virgin Mary is like a deer that was wounded with an arrow, a fatal mortal wound, but then lived beyond that until finally she passed away. And Bonaventure says it's like at the cross when she saw Christ died, she received the fatal wound to her body and soul. And yet she continued to walk around with this wound, which was the memory of Jesus dead on the cross. Of course, she had the consolation of the resurrection, but to know that her sinless son suffered for every human person in all time, that was a wound that she carried. And that's the wound that she carried to her peaceful, incorruptible, glorious death. The Dormition and the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm going to take a couple questions today. We are live. And uh, please like the video, subscribe, share it on Facebook and Twitter. A blessed feast day of the Dormition and the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary today. Make sure you get to Mass. Today is a holy day of obligation. And give due honor to the Mother the Blessed Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I'm only going to take questions on the Blessed Virgin Mary, no other topics, so please keep everything on point, and we'll talk about the Blessed Mother today. By the way, the Eastern Fathers are unanimous on this. The Western, all the doctors of the Church who talk about the end of the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary United, and I should mention this before I go over the questions Pope Pius XII, when he dogmatized the dogma of the Blessed Virgin Mary, he refers to her death. And I want to read that to you because some people are confused. They say, well, if you read uh, Mutifantissimus Deus in 1950, it says at the end of her life. But if you keep reading and you read the whole document, Pius XII says, this feast shows, the assumption, this feast shows not only that the dead body of the Blessed Virgin Mary remained corrupt, but that she gained a triumph out of death. So here, Pope Pius XII in 1950 refers to the dead body of the Virgin Mary. He also says, Hence, the revered Mother of God finally obtained as the supreme culmination of her privileges that she should be preserved free from the corruption of the tomb, and that like her own son, having overcome death, she might be taken up body and soul to the glory of heaven. So Pius XII, the Pope who dogmatized the assumption, refers to her death and that she overcame death like her son overcame death. Also, there's other, other resources. The Baltimore Catechism says, after the death of our Lord, the Blessed Virgin Mary lived about 11 years with the Apostle St. John the Evangelist. And Aquinas also says in his commentary on Dionysius, on the divine names, he refers to her death. So and it's in St. Alphonsus. He has meditations upon her death right before her assumption. It's very much part of the tradition. Okay, let's jump into your comments, your questions. Let's go. And yes, I'm only taking comments, questions about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Catholic Arrow says, is it true that although God is infinitely powerful, he was totally incapable of making a more perfected mother? I think that's correct. She was absolutely perfect. She is the most perfect creature that God ever created. 
She has the highest place in heaven. She sits at the right hand of Jesus. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Mary sits at the right hand of Jesus. We know that from the Psalms about the Queen Mother. The last of the apostles to visit Mary was Thomas, three days too late. And when the tomb was opened, she was not there. Co correct. Just as Thomas was late to the resurrection of Jesus in John's gospel, he was late yet again to the burial of Our Lady. And this is what led them to look into the tomb, and her body was gone. Roses were left behind. So where her body was, she was gone, the body was gone, and there were roses. This is why the prayer that we pray for her, the rosary, is called the rosary, because the roses are a reminder that when her body was assumed in heaven, roses were left behind. Roses are the favorite flower of the Virgin Mary. You see that in Our Lady Guadalupe, other places as well. Roses. Because she's the Rose of Sharon. From Scripture. Lots of people already went to Mass today. Very good. Uh, Stacy Martin says, where in Psalms does it say that Mary is at Jesus's right hand? Let me pull it up for you. I can't remember the exact Psalm, but I'll pull it up for you. It is Psalm 44. Uh, the queen stood at thy right hand in gilded clothing surrounded with variety. That's what the church fathers interpret as Mary as the queen mother of the messianic king, son of David. So also the queen is at the right hand of the king. Uh, I think there's also a reference uh, with Solomon and his mother Bathsheba at the right hand as well. This is where in ancient Israel, the mother of the monarch, the messianic Davidic king, that mother would sit at his right hand. That's in the Bible. And so Mary is the mother of the Messianic King. There you go. Psalm 44, though, if you want to look it up. Which is a psalm chanted in honor of the Virgin Mary in the church. All right, back into your comments and into your questions. There's a lot of good ones in here. Good job. Uh, Douglas, who appears to be a Protestant, says, Romans 3, 10 through 12, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Mary is no exception. Dr. Taylor ought to know better, being born a Protestant. Okay, uh, there is an exception that you accept. Douglas, Jesus. Right, well, well, well that's different. He's the son of God. Okay, well, this is the mother of God. Right? She gave the body and blood of Jesus to Jesus. He received it from her DNA. So she is an exception. When Paul is talking in Romans chapter 3, he's talking about humanity. He's not talking about the key players here of Jesus and the Virgin Mary. They're exceptions. Absolutely. And, Douglas, you have to deal with the fact that all the Christians up until the Protestant experiment, which turned into a revolution, they all believe this. They all believe Mary was sinless. And, and by the way, Scripture doesn't say she was sinless. Scripture says she was full of grace. Uh, Luke chapter 2. 
So she's, she's filled with grace. That's an exception. All right, let's take a couple more questions. If the Virgin Mary was saved by God from sin, is it the sacrifice of Christ that makes this time of, type of salvation valid? Hope my question is clear. Yes. So Pope Pius IX, when he dogmatized the Immaculate Conception, he explains that it was the foreseen merits of Jesus on the cross that were pre-applied to Mary, just like they were pre-applied to, old pe to people in the Old Testament. The merits of Christ, his salvific power, were pre-applied to Mary at the moment of her conception. So the best way to understand this is God saved Mary from sin in a prevenient way. But you know, technically, Jesus did not redeem Mary. Redemption means to buy back from slavery or buy back from corruption. Mary never went into slavery. She never went into the corruption of sin. So Mary was not redeemed. Mary was saved. She was saved from sin. And that's a, a very important distinction. This is why Mary says in Luke's gospel, um, God, my Savior. Mary says that God is her Savior. God saved her. See, Jesus had to honor his mother perfectly. Honor thy father and honor thy mother. What is the most perfect way you could honor your mother? To save her and fill her with the Holy Spirit from the very first moment of her existence. That is the perfect salvation with an overflow, a tidal wave, a cosmic tidal wave of grace upon that little newly conceived Mary. So we don't believe that Mary saved herself. We don't believe that Mary was saved outside of Jesus. We don't believe that the magnitude of graces in inside Mary's soul are independent of Jesus. All of it comes from Jesus. It was pre-applied to her because honor your mother, honor your mother. I mean, think about it. You see these guys who are, you know, born in poverty and they get NBA scholarships, NFL scholarships. What's the very first thing they want to do? They honor their mother. They want to get her nice cars, nice home, nice clothes, give her everything. And you're saying that Jesus would not do the same. He would not give the best. In, in the economy of heaven and of salvation, the greatest thing you can give someone is not money, houses, clothes, cars. It's grace. And Jesus gave his mother the most amount of grace possible to any human, any angel ever. All right, one more comment and or question. And by the way, I really do appreciate the comments and questions from the Protestants, from the evangelicals, because I used to be one. I had to work through this myself, all right? I want to thank everybody. I'm going to go one more comment or a question. I want to thank everybody for watching. Please like the video. For the sake of the Blessed Virgin Mary, there's one, over 1,000 people watching, only 393 thumbs up. We're not even halfway there, people. Click that like button. Let's get it in the algorithm. All right, let's teach people about the Blessed Virgin Mary. All right. Okay, one more comment or question. All right, here's a good one. This is Stacy on Facebook. 
Stacy says, I was born to the Catholic Church and I was always taught that Mary was the mother, was the child of older parents, similar to John the Baptist or Isaac, stuff like that. She had sisters, but she was special because she was born of older parents. That's correct. So the story is, you find this in the Pro Evangelion of James. The story is, is that her father was named Joachim. Her mother was named Anna, which means grace in Hebrew. And Joachim was troubled because as he read through the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, he realized that God gave children as a blessing to men, and he had no children. And so he began to reflect, maybe I'm not perceived by God as righteous. I don't have these children. So he began to pray at the temple. And an angel came to Joachim and said, fear not, don't worry about it. God has waited for a very special moment to reveal his power. Go home and embrace your wife, nuptial relations, and you shall conceive a child in your old age, and she shall be the mother of the Messiah. Meanwhile, the angel appeared to Anna back home. Joachim and Anna come together, even though they're old, even though Anna is past the time of menopause, and they conceive a daughter. And they give her the name that the angel gave them, Miriam in Hebrew. And Miriam, once she's three years old, Joachim and Anna bring Miriam to the temple and they offer her as a virgin, as an oblate to the temple. And she lives with other girls, kind of in a convent setting. And according to tradition, at the temple, she prayed, she learned the scriptures, and she also weaved the veil that hung between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. The veil that was ripped when Jesus died on the cross, according to tradition, that veil was either all or partially weaved by the Blessed Virgin Mary in her youth. That's the tradition. And there is, if you go to the traditional Latin Mass, I think actually in the, in the Novus Ordo too, I don't think they got rid of it. There's a feast of the presentation of the Virgin Mary, and that is Joachim and Anna in their old age, donating, giving as a sacrifice the Blessed Virgin Mary when she was three years old. That's a great question, Stacey. So everybody, thanks for watching. If you want to go deeper, I have a whole course or a, a module in a Catholic theology course, and it's at New St. Thomas Institute. You can sign up at NSTI. Um, I guide you through Mariology. We talk about the Immaculate Conception. We talk about what this means for her to be an intercessor for us. We talk about all these things. And you can take that course. Plus, I have a course on the Latin Mass, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, philosophy, Old Testament, New Testament, apologetics, all from a traditional, patristic, orthodox, Catholic point of view. If you're into that and you want to go deeper and you want to become confident in your Catholic faith, and to be fluent in all of these topics, it's not that hard. Join hundreds who have already done it, thousands who have already done it, who are students at NSTI, New St. Thomas Institute. Please go check it out and start your course today. If you do sign up and you want to study the Blessed Virgin Mary, go into NSTI.com once you become a member and click on Catholic Theology Certificate. You can begin that certificate, and there's a module in there on the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mariology. You can get started today. It's incredible. All right. Thanks everybody for watching. Make sure you pray your rosary every single day. Pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. 
Our Lady asks you to pray the rosary. And by praying the rosary, you are giving roses back to the Virgin Mary. Let's pray Hail Mary together. Oremus nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pranobis peccatoribus, nunc et et or mortis nostre. Amen. Blessed Mother, guide us to the heart of Jesus. Pray for us that we will find forgiveness of all of our sins, that we will be redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, thanks for watching. I appreciate all of you. If you want to support the channel, go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. I have a bunch of gifts that I'd like to send you at different levels on Patreon, including this book on the rosary in 50 pages. It's a great intro guide for yourself or someone else who wants to learn the rosary, what the rosary is all about and how to pray the rosary. This is the best book uh, also, at certain levels, I'll send you a nice rosary so you can start praying the rosary as well. Check it all out at patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. A blessed and holy assumption to all of you. Make sure you get to Mass. Today is a holy day of obligation. And remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and Godspeed.